So I have reached the point in my life when I have begun choosing restaurants based on how quiet they are inside. (laughs) Now the food still has to be good, but I'm at the point in life where if a restaurant is simply too noisy to have a conversation, then I'm not going. Uh, There's nothing that drives me more crazy when I try to go out for a date with my wife and we can't chat because it's just too loud inside. Because when we can't hear, it makes life all the more difficult. And as important as it is for us to have physical ears that can hear, it's all the more important for us to have spiritual ears that hear with ears of faith. And throughout the scripture, God uses this analogy of having ears to hear and also of having eyes to see as a picture, as a metaphor for spiritual discernment, of being able to connect the dots and really understand both who God is as well as what he has done. I want to invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, chapters 7 and 8, as we continue our series in the Gospel of Mark. And as we wrestle with this text this morning, we are forced to ask ourselves this question. Do I have ears to hear? Do I have eyes to see? Do I understand? Do I connect the dots? of God's faithfulness to me in the past, to whatever troubles and circumstances I'm facing in the present. Again, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, and as you're opening there to Mark chapter 7 and Mark chapter 8, I want to encourage you to grab your bulletin and your outline as well, because we're going to look at these verses this morning out of order. We're going to look at these verses out of order. So there on your outline, you can see the first thing we're going to look at is this miracle of the deaf hearing in Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Jesus heals a deaf man. Then we're going to skip some verses that we'll come back to. But number two on your outline is we're going to take a look at this miracle of the blind seeing a second healing story where Jesus miraculously heals a blind man and restores his sight. And then number three on your outline, we're going to return to the verses that we skipped and we're going to ask really the pressing question of this text. Yes, Jesus healed the deaf man and yes, he healed the blind man, but do the disciples hear? Did the disciples see? So again, grab your Bible and follow along with me. Number one on your outline, first, the miracle of the deaf hearing, Mark chapter 7. Let me begin by reading for you verses 31 and 32. John Mark tells us, again, he, Jesus, went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. Now these verses really set the geographic context for us. 
I want you to notice the locations where Jesus is here. John Mark mentions Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis or the ten cities. Now Tyre, Sidon, and the Decapolis cities were the ten, the ten Roman cities. These are all Gentile cities. So what I want you to notice is that Jesus is in Gentile territory. His ministry is expanding and notice, while Jesus is there in Gentile territory, they, the Gentiles, bring to him a man who is deaf and has difficulty speaking. And these Gentiles implore or beg Jesus to lay his hand on this man. And in response to their pleading... Notice what Jesus does, verse 33. Interestingly, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, Jesus said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. Now, this is a fascinating, miraculous healing account. When you take a look at this healing account and compare it to others, this one has some very unique features here. Notice first, Jesus takes the man away from the crowd, right? He pulls the man away from the crowd by himself before he heals him. Notice Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears. Jesus spits and touches the man's tongue with his saliva. He then speaks and says, be opened. And then the man's healed. This is fascinating. Jesus through different means, ultimately heals this man. Now, I've got to confess to you, though, as the germaphobe that I am, that I mentioned last week, <laughs> the one question I kept coming to in this passage is, why does Jesus use his spit? And I probably spent way too much time this week trying to figure out, why in the world does Jesus use his spit in order to heal this guy. Because again, think, think through the different occasions when Jesus has healed people. Sometimes he just speaks and people are healed. Sometimes he lays hands on people and they are healed. Other times Jesus heals people from a distance. He doesn't even have to be around them. So why in the world would Jesus spit, put his fingers in this guy's ears and his, his fingers on this guy's tongue in order to heal this guy? Again, the, the germaphobes in the room, the inquiring minds want to know, right, why Jesus does this. Well, I came across four possible solutions on why Jesus heals this man in this way. Uh, first, in an ancient document, Hebrew document called the Talmud. The Talmud has uh, some, some really weird stuff in it, but one of the weird things in it is this belief that many Jews had that the spit of a firstborn son had the ability to heal. 
the spit of a firstborn son had the ability to heal. It was bizarre. Um, Even more bizarre is that the Talmud connects this with magical incantations. Now, I simply cannot believe that what Jesus is doing here is a magical trick, right? A magic trick or incantation. So that really doesn't make any sense to me. So I kept reading, and then I came across uh, a document written by a guy named Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder is a famous guy. He's a famous Roman. Uh, He was uh, really most known for a 30-volume work that he wrote, 30 volumes called The Natural History, and in it, Pliny the Elder, it's basically the Encyclopedia Britannica or Wikipedia of the first century. He explains all sorts of natural phenomena. And what's fascinating is Pliny the Elder, he actually talks about how rubbing spit behind someone's ear calms their anxiety. I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. But I kept reading, and and some commentators say, no, what Jesus does here, his spit is just a foreshadowing of his blood on the cross, maybe. So the fourth explanation is I don't know. (laughs) I don't have a clue why Jesus here uses his spit to heal this man when clearly we know he could have just spoken and that's it. So while I don't know why Jesus used his spit, what we do know is the people's reaction. Notice verse 36. It says, And he, Jesus, gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So as much as we don't know about the details in this passage, the one thing we do know is the reaction that these Gentiles, these Gentiles have to Jesus' miraculous healing here. Notice, they're utterly astonished, verse 37. They say, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. They they see the evidence of what Jesus has done and they come to the right conclusion. They're amazed at who Jesus is. The second thing I want you to notice is that like other miraculous healings that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' command not to tell anybody falls on deaf ears, right? Right? Jesus says, don't tell anybody what I've done, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim or preach what Jesus has done. So here, amazingly, we see that Jesus heals the deaf man. The deaf now hear, but that's not all. Now, a few weeks ago, when I was on that Grand Canyon rafting trip through the Grand Canyon down the Colorado River, uh, there was another guy on the trip that I got to know. His name is Drew. Drew uh, does Bible translation. He lives out in L.A. And I could tell by looking at Drew that he had really bad eyesight. His glasses were like the Coke bottle lenses. 
And uh, I too, I have really bad eyesight. I wear contacts in the day. I wear glasses in the, at the, in the evening. And I have really thick glasses. And so I knew that, that Drew had really bad eyes. And we were one day out kind of swimming around in a little side stream off of the Colorado River, and he was uh, taking a tube down this particular side stream. He fell into the water off of his tube, and his glasses disappeared. And I had extreme compassion on Drew because I knew that he could probably not see his own hand right in front of his face. And so as soon as we got back to camp, I went digging through my luggage, and I found my glasses that I let Drew then use for the duration of the trip, the best that I could do was simply to loan him my glasses. But Jesus does far better. And that's what I want you to see as we take a look at the second miracle. Skipping a few verses we'll come back to later, but let's take a look at number two on your outline, Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. The second amazing miracle that we see Jesus do, Mark chapter 8, notice verse 22. And they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Bethsaida. And they brought a man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he, Jesus, sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And you see all of the parallels between these two healing stories. This is why I wanted to look at them out of order. Notice the number of similarities we see between the story of Jesus healing the deaf man and now Jesus healing the blind man. Notice, like in the first account, these friends bring the man to Jesus and they implore him to touch him. Notice, similarly, Jesus removes this man away from the crowd, just like he did with the deaf man. Once again, Jesus spits. Another fascinating feature. But eventually, the man is healed. What's very unique, though, about this story is this is the only miraculous healing story that happens in two steps. Did you notice that? Jesus touches the man and at first, his sight is not completely restored. He sees, but he sees men walking around as though they're trees. His vision is still blurry, much like my friend Drew when he lost his glasses. But it's then only at the second time, the second step, that Jesus completely restores this man's sight. The question is, why? Clearly, if we've been reading the Gospel of Mark, we know that Jesus is God. He has the divine ability to heal this man any way he wants instantaneously. So we have to ask the question, well, why does Jesus heal this man in stages, in steps, in two parts? First, restoring his vision only partially, and secondly, restoring his vision completely. 
the answer to that question, I believe, is that this man is a metaphor for the disciples. This man metaphorically pictures the spiritual conditions of the disciples. They've now been walking with Jesus. They've seen everything he's done. But their vision is still just a little bit blurry. They don't quite yet fully see who Jesus really is, all that he's capable of doing. The deaf hear, the blind see, to perceive or not to perceive, that's the question of the disciples here in this passage. Will they see, will they hear who Jesus really is? By the way, did you know that there are 177 million people in the United States who need some sort of vision correction? Glasses, contacts, surgery. However, there are 12.2 million of those people who don't use any glasses or contacts or laser correction surgery. There are also 37 million adults who suffer from some degree of hearing loss in the United States. However, only 20 to 30% of them actually wear a hearing aid device. Now, take a step back and think about this for a minute. That means that there are millions of people driving around who can't see and can't hear. That, that explains a lot about the traffic situation in DFW, right? And that is a picture of the disciples. That is the picture of the disciples. We've seen Jesus' ability to restore the hearing of the deaf. We've seen Jesus' ability to restore the sight of the blind. But the question of this passage is, but do the disciples hear and see? Do you and I hear and see? And to answer that question, let's take a look at number three on your outline. Jumping back to the verses that we skipped, Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. 1 through 21. Mark chapter 8, verse 1 says, In those days... When there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from a great distance. Now let's pause right here. We've seen a very similar story before, have we not? Back in Mark chapter 6, we saw almost an identical situation. But back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus was in Jewish territory, and we saw Jesus miraculously multiply the fish and the loaves to feed the 5,000 men plus women and children. Now we find ourselves in Gentile territory. Jesus once again has been teaching, the people are hungry, and he poses the question to his disciples, what should we do about this? The question is, are the disciples going to be able to see? Will they be able to recall what Jesus has done in the past as an indication of what he will do in the present? 
They're facing a very similar problem, a very similar situation, but do they have the faith, do they have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, do they have the mind to recall God's faithfulness, Jesus' faithfulness to them from the past to give them motivation to trust him in the present? Well, notice verse 4. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? The disciples don't get it. They don't have ears to hear. They don't have eyes to see. They don't remember what Jesus did not long ago at the feeding of the 5,000. And so notice what Jesus does next. He begins to ask them a series of questions. Verse 5, and he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish and after he blessed them, he ordered these to be served very well. They ate and were satisfied. They picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there. And he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat with his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. What I want you to see here is that this is same song, second verse, right? We've been here before. We've seen a similar situation. Jesus has proven now his divinity, that he is the God-man in a multitude of ways. We've seen him multiply bread and fish now not once, but now twice. But sadly, look and see what happens next. Verse 11 tells us the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven in it to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, Jesus said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. So here, before Mark tells us what happens with the disciples, we're first told what happens with the Pharisees. The Pharisees come and they begin to challenge Jesus once again to test him, and they demand to see a sign from him. They want evidence, they want proof that he is who he says he is. The Pharisees are completely blind. They have seen Jesus do amazing things. They have all the evidence they need, but they refuse to see it. The Pharisees here are completely blind. But what about the disciples? Look at verse 13. Leaving them, the Pharisees, he, Jesus, again embarked and went away to the other side. And they, the disciples, had forgotten to take bread. And they did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he, Jesus, was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So again, picture this in your mind. Jesus leaves the Pharisees. He and his disciples get in a boat. They start heading to the other side of the sea. And and Jesus says, hey, disciples, I want you to be 
warned, I want you to be careful about the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Herod of, or leaven, of course, is a symbol, a picture of sin and of unbelief. And when the disciples hear Jesus talk about leaven, their concern is that they didn't bring enough bread. <laughs> they didn't bring enough bread. Even though Jesus had just multiplied the bread and the fish once again, right? The disciples are narrowly focused on the immediate problem in front of them. They don't yet have eyes to see the ability to connect the dots between what Jesus has done and their present circumstances. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. So notice the series of questions then that Jesus asks them, reminding them of his faithfulness to them in the past. Verse 17. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand do you have a hardened heart? Notice this. Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Go back through these verses, these verses here, and, and take note of the number of questions Jesus asks them. He's trying to get them to think. He's trying to help them connect the spiritual dots between what he has done and what he will do. He's reminding them as he asks them these questions. He's reminding them of his provision and of his faithfulness to them. Why do you discuss the fact that you don't have bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having ears, do you not hear? Having eyes, do you not see? Do you not remember the loaves after the 5,000? Do you not remember the number of baskets after the 4,000? Do you not yet understand, Jesus asks them. See, the disciples, like the blind man, after step one of his healing, they only partially see. They don't fully comprehend the faithfulness of Jesus. And as the readers of the Gospel of Mark, we come to the chill, chilling realization that the disciples are partially blind and deaf to who Jesus is. Now let me be clear on something though. These men are Christians. They've trusted in Jesus. I believe that uh, they believe that he is the Messiah. But they're just confused. And listen, for you and me, we can get confused as well. We believe that, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, that he died on the cross in our place. And if you've not put your faith in him, I want to invite you to, to put your faith in him, to believe that his death 
pays the penalty for your sins, that you can be completely forgiven, restored, redeemed because of the work of Jesus. But if we're honest with ourselves as we wrestle through this passage, we have to admit that we are often like the disciples. We fail to connect the dots between his faithfulness to us in the past and whatever present problems and circumstances we're in right now. Like the disciples, sometimes we have ears but don't hear. Like the disciples, sometimes we have eyes but don't really see. And the point of this passage is really to highlight Jesus' questions of the disciples and to illustrate it with these two healing episodes on each end. The healing of the deaf man and the healing of the blind man, it points us to the deafness and blindness of the disciples themselves, their inability to connect the dots. But I also want you to see the hope that is in this passage. There's hope in this passage. That through Jesus, eyes and ears are opened. That through Jesus, ears can hear and blind eyes can see. But the only way to do this is exactly what Jesus does with his disciples. Jesus walks his disciples through the evidence of his faithfulness to them. Notice that again. In verses 17 through 21, Jesus asks his disciples a series of questions, recalling to their mind, reminding them of his faithfulness to them in the past. He says, Do you not understand? Do you not remember? All that I've done for you. See, the only way to overcome spiritual blindness, spiritual deafness, the hardened heart and unbelief, the only way to overcome forgetting God's faithfulness is to actively remember His faithfulness to us. Because life is filled with challenges. Life is filled with problems and heartaches. And as I look out on this room, I know that many of you are facing difficulties right here, right now. Sometimes in life, you, you get the bad news of maybe you lost your job. Maybe you get bad news of the death of a loved one. Maybe you get the phone call from a doctor that you're regretting with the bad news of a certain diagnosis. And in those desperate moments, we really have one of two options. We can doubt God's faithfulness and say, oh Lord, I, I don't know if you can get me out of this one. Or what Mark chapter 7 and 8 invites us to do instead is to recall to our minds the stories of God's faithfulness in the past. To recall to mind the stories of God's faithfulness to us as evidence and motivation for us to trust him in the present. And so there on the backside of your outline, that's what I want to invite you to do this week. The way to combat spiritual forgetting is spiritual remembering. 
And so when you're facing a difficult situation, it's important to remember how God cared for you in the past in order to trust him in the present and in the future. So specifically, how can you remember God's mighty works from the past in order to trust him in the present and in the future? I have a couple suggestions for you. Maybe keep a record, a journal, something of the stories of God's faithfulness to you that you can pull out from time to time and recall to your mind how good God is his love, his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness to you. Another thing you can maybe do is just read through Scripture and see the evidence, story after story after story of God's faithfulness to his people, how he delivers them from hardship time and time again. A third option maybe you can consider is to kick on some worship music. And listen to the hymns of old and and great songs of today that recount and to recall to our mind the stories of God's great faithfulness and mercy and love. But what Mark chapter 7 and chapter 8 invites us to do is to look, to listen, to recall to our mind the stories of his faithfulness, his love, his grace, and his mercy to perceive or not to perceive? That's the question of the text. Would you pray with me? Father, we do confess that far too often we are like the disciples. We have ears, but we don't hear. We have eyes, but we don't see. We fail to recall and to remember the stories of your goodness, grace, mercy, and love. We get so fixated on the problems in front of us that we fail to remember your faithfulness to us in the past. And so, Father, I pray and I ask, as this text promises, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would help us to remember who you are and what you have done. Father, as we go through the struggles and difficulties of life, help us to recall your goodness. Or as we see our our brothers and sisters in Christ go through difficulties and struggles in life, help us to be the, the voice speaking truth in that darkness of recalling to mind your goodness, your grace, and your love. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for redeeming us. And now as we sing together, fill our hearts with rejoicing as we recall just how good and faithful And loving you are, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.